Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm KJ. You know the drill. We're back here once again to remind you about the benefits of the Dunlap Champions Club. If you haven't sampled it still, well, find one of your friends or somebody that has. Uh, you know, the spring game in the rearview mirror. Certainly uh, some other folks got an opportunity in there to enjoy what is uh, just terrific space. Every now and then when you're hanging out in the Dunlap Champions Club, an MC Hammer concert breaks out, too, so you never know what you're going to get. And if you haven't had the opportunity to even be there, you can schedule a private tour. Just call 850-644-1830. Tickets are available. It's a, it's a home schedule that uh, you'll enjoy visiting there, and particularly if we get any of those noon, noon kickoffs, you'll be air-conditioned and ready to go. Well, that is a good point. I just, in general, I didn't want to have a noon kickoff conversation, but I get your point. And the home schedule, of course, includes Miami, NC State, Louisville, Syracuse, uh, whatever it is, 644-1830, the number to call or, or, or go online, seminoles.com uh, slash tickets, and check out the Dunlap Champions Club. And we really like them because they allow us to then put this on the podcast, and it's without commercial interruption. Is that how we say it? This being Front Row Knowles. Take it away. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Hello, everybody. Your favorite time of the week is here. It is time for Front Row Knowles Counseling Edition 2019 in light of the last 24 hours. Lean back in that chair. We'll try to make you feel better about what happened at Mike Martin Field, Dickhauser Stadium. And also the little, uh, you know, if that was the gut punch, then there was the uppercut that Fee Cabin Gailey is No, that was a roundhouse. Roundhouse. So probably because we all talked ourselves into it and not because... We talked to Fee about it, though, to be fair, we had him on this show. I asked the question and he delivered the standard answer that everybody delivers in that scenario, which is I'll I'm not really thinking about it. When the time comes, I'll think about it and I'll address it. Well, the time has come and he thunk about it and he's moving on. And He's addressed it. So that was not good news. And this comes on. So this this week alone. So it started well. Mike Martin got a win in his. Well, the weekend didn't start well because the first two games were forgettable, but finally got one. Last game against Miami, we would think, barring postseason or ACC tournament, he gets a win. Then on Monday, the softball team gets a lead, falls way behind, has an incredible seventh-inning rally with a grand slam to take a lead. Just a little bit Only short. to lose on a basis-clearing double. I'm going to cut them some slack. They hadn't lost a conference series since 2012. 12. 12. And I saw Lonnie and several of the players. They were at yesterday's festivities for FSU Day at the Capitol along with the soccer national champions, so both championship teams were Ring presentation. Ring I, presentation. I just told them to start another streak, and they said we will, so I'm not going to worry about that. So, that, But anyway, that happens. Then you get to Tuesday, and you get uh, another loss against Florida in baseball, and then you get the Kevin Gailey news. So you got anything promising here we can talk about on this here show, Keith? I mean... Mm, how much time I got? Well, it's an hour show every week. No, so. I got nothing. You got nothing. <laughs> it's be a long. Here's what we're going to do, folks. Eric Lou Allen uh, is going to join us next segment. The voice of uh, Seminole baseball. He was lined up, win or lose, and uh, to his credit, he will honor that word and join us. We've not had deep He's conversations about person. baseball, studious. as you know. He's a studious person, by the way. He's got a lot of stats and, and memories and stuff. Only a small part of the refusal to talk about baseball was intentional because we had other things to talk about. But there was a part of it, I'll admit. But now we're done with those other things. So we'll dive deeper into baseball as the team lost to Florida last night and squandered another good opportunity. Then our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us. 
And to be fair, I, what I left out that happened on Saturday is that I think we all came away with a better taste in our mouth about the spring football game than we thought we might have going in. I was happy. Happy, happy, happy. Now, my expectations weren't grand. I made a comment on our pregame show that uh, what I wanted to see was stand at the line of scrimmage, look left or right, depending on which sideline you're look, supposed to be looking at, get a signal, line up, make your adjustments, call play. Everything after that was gravy. Didn't know they'd run 96 plays and pass for 600 yards in the first half. That was real good gravy. <laughs> but they did the first part well as well. I thought over – I mean, it's a spring game. We prefaced it last week. If the offense is good, what's wrong with the defense or the other way around? But I did think there was plenty to feel good about, not the least of which – I mean, most of that is focused on looking organized and better disciplined. But – for all the talk about recruiting and FSU struggling and it's not a top five class, there's a lot of good football players still wearing garnet and gold. So let's not act like FSU's got the same talent Tulsa has here. Well, and we're also, we're spoiled. I mean, remember that 2013 group, basically everyone that started in that national championship game drafted or signed and majority of them drafted if not all of them. Most of them have now inked their second NFL contract. Exactly. And when I get some spare time You're and gonna adult beverage, I'm going to add it up and do a little spreadsheet and see where, see where we're at now. Let's see. There might be, let's see, one, two. Oh, a calculator will be involved. There might be three commas involved as well. Uh, I'm sure there will be. Okay. There are going to be three commas involved just in Jameis's deal when he gets his new one, right? <laughs> That's true. That's um, true. So, yeah, I thought there was there was more positive than negative there. Yeah, there's always going to be the negative side. You know, and why do we focus on attendance so much? It's a spring game. Has it ever been interesting? We talked about this last week. Has it ever been that interesting that if you had a, a reasonably better option, you wouldn't choose it? No. So, And I went back because it drives me crazy and looked at it. And the attendance, now, you can have the conversation about, well, they inflated the numbers. But just assuming that if that's what you subscribe to, they inflate them every year. There were more people at that game than the 2013. I mean, the 2013 spring game, where which was the debut of Jameis. There was more at the game Saturday than there was in Jimbo's last year in 2017. So, I, you know, I'm not hung up on the attendance. I, I thought the product was better. I thought the concert was. You know, I'm going to be honest, and then we'll finish this first segment. I was there in the Dunlap Champions Club, and I went inside and watched the final four semifinals at the Champions Club, and. I could hear some of what was going on, but I didn't stay finely attuned to Tone Loke and Color Me Bad and MC Hammer. Want to ask me how I enjoyed the concert? Sure. How did you enjoy the concert? I did not attend it. I really thought that w- that was your, you know, your genre too. So, oh, I, I MC's okay. All right, and, and you know, can't touch this and all that good stuff. I, I've heard it before. Okay, but but it would nobody would say it's your genre. No. Okay. Um. Speaking of this, not that this is the Virginia Cavalier, you know, it's not front row Cavs, but I said last week on the show that after they hit that shot, it just felt like it's, you know, kind of destiny. ACC. I didn't ACC. know that the destiny ACC. was was also going to involve, you know, a, a foul and three free throws with .6 left in one game and then tying it up with 11 seconds left and winning overtime. So congratulations to Virginia. Um you, I guess the bigger point here, not to uh, talk too much about Virginia, to face the adversity and, and all the criticism that Bennett has faced for his system and what happened last year with a first-round exit and to come back and put a title together, not bad. As I saw somebody tweet, no number one seed uh, that lost to a 16 seed has, has ever lost another game in, in postseason basketball history because that's what's happened to Virginia here in the NCAA tournament. Well, uh, our, our good friends on Headline 
uh, made a couple comments that I'll give them credit for. I can't remember who made the first comment, but uh, Ira made the second. Uh, and that was that um, it, it, it just – it, them winning the national championship in basketball would be like a Paul Johnson offense winning the national championship in football. <laughs> you just you just don't expect it because it's so unconventional and nonsense. And then the other thing is, uh, Ira talked about the fact that no matter how good looking he is or how well he dresses, he just can't like Tony Bennett because of what he did in a press conference in Tallahassee three or four years ago. <laughs> so Ira won't let it go. And Ira's the most fair objective sports person I've ever known in my life. He doesn't pick on anybody one way or the other, but but he is not a big Tony Bennett fan. <laughs> I heard you chanting, uh, mocking the uh, SEC chants with the uh, ACC chants there. I'm not going to go down that road. I'll only suggest that the timing of the launch of the ACC network for as delayed as it was when we talked about this five and four years ago, it's almost like you've scripted it out because here we are and the ACC sits here with the reigning national champs in football and in basketball and has won quite a few championships over the last few years and it's not going to hurt in terms of distribution. And, and I think somebody said that this is the second time in three years that the ACC has been the double winner. It, it is. And, and, you know, and on the football side, I guess the ACC's won, what, three of the last six titles. And on the basketball side, they've won three of the last five. They just missed getting a women's title because Notre Dame just lost. We got soccer and softball. Uh, when as we get closer and, and more into the summer, we'll dive deeper into the the ACC network stuff. But it's it doesn't hurt. I'll just not at all. It. Not at all. You know what else? Well, this may have long term ramifications that could hurt, but in the short term, it's it's a win. Milkshake happy hour tomorrow at Magda's four o'clock. Again. Short term winning proposition. Long term, if you make it a regular habit, maybe it hurts a little. Your bit. favorite milkshake? I, I'm. It's just basic. It's it's chocolate. I mean, if you're you know, but if the, now if I go there and they've got Oreo and all other different kinds that that spin off of that, then I might diversify. So I, I don't know why or how this relationship lasts. Sometimes I don't even know. You're going to tell me Neapolitan or something that was big and wild. No, what, you, no my favorite is vanilla, and your well, favorite well, is chocolate, and that just speaks to the relationship. It speaks to the reason this show works, right? Uh, Game of Thrones trivia next week, at, uh, next Tuesday at Madison Social. Thanks to them for being on board as always. What, Lulu what's is Game on of Thrones home. trivia? Uh, just show up next Tuesday night. Just be a fly on the wall with your vanilla shake. And watch all the action unfold. Do I have to dress? Folks, you don't have to watch. You can just listen and suffer through this week's edition of Front Row Knowles, which continues on after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, and we have put this off as long as humanly possible. And I don't mean the conversation or having our next guest join us. I, I mean, no, he's welcome anytime. I mean the topic of the conversation as we open up the uh, Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to the voice of the Seminole baseball team. That is Eric Llewellyn. Lulu, how you doing? Oh, 
I'm 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 doing. I know. I meant aside from the obvious. Would you like to talk about something other than the games that you described? How do you feel about basketball, Lulu? <laughs> um, good season for the guys. <laughs> Here's the reality, and you know it. Too, too, too bad. It's too bad we won't see uh, Fiondu Cabangeli back in uh, Garnet Gold for one more season. But uh, understandable. Understandable. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. There we we, had, we, we certainly addressed that last segment, and as uh, Keith yeah. pointed out. Uh, it was it was a two for Tuesday in the wrong direction because there's the news about fee and then there was what happened on the diamond. Yeah, I was going to begin the interview with, "Hey, hey, Lulu, well, crap." <laughs> <laughs> so three one, uh, and I'm going to be uh, just being frank. It wasn't intentional. I was just tied up on the family front, but I did not watch the game last night. But really, I think uh, so. You can speak to that one first, but I think it's the bigger question of. Uh, starting with just FSU Florida, and maybe it's moot now because we may not see the Gators again this year. What's it going to take to fix this for FSU? Well, you know, it, it's going to take some guys. I, I really, I think at this point, it's, it's going to take some guys swinging the bat who just haven't been swinging the bat about the last 10 to 12 to 15 games. Uh, and I, I really do think it's, it's that simple. Um, you know, you've, you've got – you look, Drew Mendoza's hitting about 275. I don't think anybody would have expected or predicted that. Um, you know, I think J.C. Flowers has been a big surprise at the plate this year, but he's kind of been dragged down a little bit in this 10-12 to 12 game funk that, that the team seems to be mired in presently. Um, you know, I think Nander DeSatis was one of those guys that they – probably didn't necessarily I, I think with him that whatever offense they could get out of him was going to be gravy uh, because they really expected him to be tremendous defensively and the bat would be something that that came as time went with him but I do think that it's not uh, too much to expect better than 231 which is where he's at right now uh, so you know that that's another one that that he he's probably got to uh, have a little bit of a jump in there uh, you know, same thing for Matt Nelson, the catcher. Uh, he's batting 222 currently. I, you know, I think one of the big question marks there is Elijah Cabell, and I think he's over his last 18 or 19. And this is a kid that was picked to be um, picked as a preseason favorite to be the ACC Freshman of the Year, uh, and, and he's now struck out 54 times in 103 at bats. And I don't think anybody would have predicted that. Um, you know, Reese Albert not being available um, in now 14 games, I believe he's missed. Um, is he going to be available? Are they going to be able to use him, count on him at all at some point? Um, a guy like Nico Baldor, who, uh, you know, again, he, he's a transfer. He had experience starting down at Miami, um, hit 230-something down there as a freshman, so you would expect a little better than 167 out of him. I, you know, so I, I think it's kind of an up and down thing, and with, with the exception of Mike Salvatore, uh, who's on about an 18 game tear right now, I think the rest of the lineup has just really gone into this slump, funk, whatever you want to call it. Lulu, and, my, and I think my, it's my, gonna, you know, you're, you're going to need the, the the majority of those guys to come out of that. My my frustration or my confusion, and and uh, I stay confused most of the time, is. In fall, in the early part of spring, all the reports were that these kids were hitting the cover off of the ball. 
I mean, yep. as an outsider, that tells me, well, were they going it up against pitching, i.e. our own pitching, which has not proven to be what it thought it would be, and now that they're getting first-rate pitching, we're seeing it, or or is there a complete disconnect between what they were doing and what they're doing now? I, I think it's probably, well, I you know, I, I think the, I, I think fall is sometimes tough to judge just because you don't know where different guys are in their development, where they are in their conditioning, where they are in in a lot of factors. Because obviously the, those guys aren't really training to peak in the fall. Um, so I, I think sometimes you can get maybe a, a bit of a mixed read there, but I, I, you're not wrong. I, you know, that was the, the, the impression that, that was being given. Um, you know, as far as, the, the pitching comments. I, I don't know that the pitching. The, the the pitching isn't hasn't always been the problem. When you start looking at losses, I, I you know I, I had this conversation with somebody not even a week ago about pitching, and the comment was, "Well, you know, the, the pitching's got to be better." And I I start looking at the starting pitching, and I'm thinking, "Yeah, I, I don't know that the starting pitching has been the issue." Uh, you go back and you look at a. An eight nothing loss to Boston College, and they got five and two thirds scoreless baseball out of their starter in Shane in, in uh, Shane Drohan. Um, it, it certainly, I, I don't think, for the most part, I think there have been some bad starts, but it hasn't necessarily been the starting pitching that has been the issue. Uh, but it, it never seems to all come together. They they get a good start, and maybe the bullpen is iffy, or they get a bad start, and the bullpen comes in and and holds the opponent scoreless for six or seven innings. Uh, I, I don't know that it ever has actually meshed um, or it has ever been consistent uh, performance from, from start to finish in, in certain games where we start to go, oh, there's the pitching. Uh, so I, I don't think the pitching has been as much of the problem of late as the offense has been. And, I, you know, that's, that's the, I think, the one that's got everybody kind of scratched their heads because I don't think anybody – uh, foresaw this kind of inconsistent performance by the offense, or saw this long of a you know, every every lineup's going to go through their time when things don't go their way, or nobody's hitting the ball. But I, I think this has just been a prolonged slump that that I just don't think anybody saw happening. A lot of questions to ask still, but let me finish on the pitching side. I think part of that narrative has been because Drew Parrish. Uh, has not been as consistent at the front end of the weekend rotation as what we expected. What do you see uh, from Drew, and you know what can he do to get back to to the Paris that we thought we were going to see this year? Well, you know, with Drew, I, I think that the the issue has mostly been where there. It, it's not that that Drew goes out and pitches poorly; it's that Drew goes out and has one or two or three bad pitches within the course of an inning or two innings or four innings, uh, you know, let's use Miami as an example. Uh, he goes out there and in game one of that series, he, I mean, he was fantastic in the first four innings. Uh, in the fifth inning, he gives up back-to-back singles. The runners get to second and third, so they intentionally walk a hitter. Uh, to get to a left-left matchup, set up the double play. There's one out. You know all the reasons that you would would intentionally load the bases in that situation. And then he gets he gets to zero and two against a guy who is hitting 168 in his last 18 games. Granted, he's the the ACC home run 
leader, but he's also among the leaders in strikeouts. And like I said, he's hitting about 168 in the last 18 games. And on an 0-2 pitch that's supposed to be up and out of the zone, he, he just he grooves a fastball right down the middle. And that guy deposits, deposits it over the wall. So it's not that Parrish pitched poorly when he went four and a third and gave up four hits and four runs. It's really that he had one bad pitch in there. Um, so the numbers get a little skewed, and then you know you, you get him out of there, you go to the bullpen. Uh, but but he he, there have been location issues that that haven't been necessarily game long issues, but in certain critical spots where he's he's missed a location on a very important pitch, and that's that that seems to be the problem with Drew this year. So you know, to me, it's not it's not something that that I look at and go, "Wow, Drew's just been terrible," and I don't think uh, we can count on him. It's more of a you know, if he can get that one or two or three pitches that he's missing on in a game, we'll have the Drew that everybody's used to seeing. We'll get back to the uh, the offense here momentarily, but as long as we're working our, our way around, so uh, correct me where I'm wrong, but didn't they go the first ten or twelve games of the season without an error when we're first or second in the country in fielding percentage? Yeah. Okay, so that was, uh, you know, to some degree there was going to be a return to the norm, but it feels like it's been a complete drop there because what you don't. Uh, you know, Florida State has not been a team that historically has been fielding 980 under Mike Martin, but it's been 965 to 970. But if you if you took the first 12 or 14 games out of the equation, what, what's the fielding percentage at over the last month? Like 950? I mean, I, I guess the bigger question is, did you foresee this kind of struggle defensively? Well, and I, I wonder, too, if those numbers aren't a little skewed. Florida State, when you, you kind of look at you know, again, going back to the pitching, because sometimes the, the fielding percentage can be determined quite a bit by who's on the mound. And, and I think that Florida State's got a fair number of, of fly ball guys as far as pitchers go, guys that will give up a lot of fly balls. And if you're giving up a lot of fly balls, you, you, you there's less chances for guys to make errors. And I think in the early Other moments, than last night. Well, uh, yeah, other than last night. Um you know, Connor Grady at one point, Connor Grady's the guy that gets a lot of ground balls. And at one time last night, I looked, he had one fly out, seven strikeouts, and nine ground outs. Um, the, the defense played well behind him from a ground ball standpoint. Um, but but I think, I, and I, I'd have to go back and, and really break that down, and I don't have the numbers from the first uh, 13 games of the season or 14 games of the season when Florida State was leading the country in fielding percentage. But I do wonder if, there was an inordinate number of fly ball outs to ground ball outs, and that kind of masked maybe some issues that you could that, that you could expect as the season went on. Uh, because you know, it, as Tom said, kind of a reversion of the mean. There, you're, you're going to get more of those opportunities, and you're going to end up at a, a certain point in the season. And um, I, I just wonder if there just weren't a lot of opportunities to see some of those defensive issues that, that we might then see later. And then all of a sudden they kind of hit like the floodgate. Um, I, you know, I, I still don't think that this team is as bad defensively as we've seen the last 10 or 12 games, probably not as good as 994 fielding percentage would say they are either. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's probably somewhere in between there. Um, you know, again, like the the bats. Uh, hopefully, that's something they've gotten out of them, uh, gotten out of their system here as the uh, as the season has worn on. But uh, you know, it, it is 
something that that they're going to have to improve on if they're going to get where they, they, they want to get by the end of the season. All right, the heck with what's happened in the past. We can't change it. Make me feel better. We got Clemson coming in. Make me feel better. Um, well, I, you know, I, I, I don't think that Elijah Cabell is a guy that's, you know, an 0 for 19 hitter. So at some point, um, you'd have to think that, that his bat has to come around. Uh, you know, same with Drew Mendoza. I, I think J.C. Flowers has shown that, that he's a different hitter this year. So uh, really for him, it's it's probably more of a five or six or seven game skid than it is a 10 or 12 or 15 game skid. So, I, you know, I, I think at some point those those bats have to come around and you're going to see a better lineup than, than what we've seen here over the last 10 or so games. Uh, you know, one, one thing that, that could really help is to get Reese Albert back, and I, I don't know, I, I just don't know what his status is going to be. Uh, he's fighting a couple of things, and, and I don't know whether they, they get him back in a game, two games, five games, ten games, or at, or at all. I, I just don't know what his status is. And certainly, if you get Reese Albert back, um, you're a much better lineup uh, just with that one guy in the lineup. But whether that happens or not, I don't know. But, you know, the other guys, I just I don't think that they continue to swing the bat the way that they have the last 10 or 12 or 15 games. But the thing I don't know is when does that turn around? When does that change? Well, let's just say Friday, for the sake of this discussion, it's going to change. Well, sure. We're just going to make it happen. Well, and, and here's the thing. It, it, it's still not – Florida State isn't at a point in the season. You know, they're, they're 19 and 13. They're 7, eight, 7 and 8 in the conference. So it's not like this is a team that, that's under 500 overall and, and all hope is lost. You look, you've got Louisville playing NC State. You've got Florida State hosting Clemson. You have a good series against Clemson. You're, you're kind of right back in the thick of it. I, I don't know that, that catching NC State is a reasonable goal, but certainly uh, if you play well against Clemson and you play well against Louisville on the road, which we did see in 2017, um, they can they can at least get back up into second or third place in the Atlantic Division, and I, I think if you're sitting there at the end of the season, things will things will go your way. Does that mean Florida State ends up hosting? I, I don't know, but I, I think that the talk of Florida State won't make the postseason is a little premature at this point. Uh, again, using 2017 as an example, Florida State was 21 and 15 at one point in that season and ended up uh, not only hosting in the postseason but in the College World Series in Omaha. I think the thing that frightens us, though, is, as I recall, 17, we had a bunch of injuries. And 19, we have a bunch of underperformances. And, and maybe those two are the same thing. Well, and I'll jump in before Lulu does. But I, a lot of the underperformance, maybe not all of it, but a lot of it is freshmen that, uh, you know, now you could go one of two ways. You could stay in the tank, but maybe the light comes right. on. And that's obviously – we also have a 40-year track record here, uh, to Lulu's point about turning things around. I don't, you know, Lulu, I don't want to uh, go deeply into this right here, so maybe I shouldn't go here, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, much has Nothing's been, ever prohibited him is what he's saying. <laughs> much has been made over the years, uh, as you know. There's there's a pro-11 crowd and a, and a not pro-11 crowd, and there's some contingent that wants to lump Mike Jr. into the Jeff Bowden and Bobby Bowden bucket, even right. though we all know it's different, and you can look at – uh, what Mike has done from a recruiting and from coaching the hitter standpoint. It just seems unfortunate that in this of the year, we already know 11 is moving on and Meet's going to be in consideration that one of the best accolades on his resume is what a good job he's done with the hitters. And here we are, and it's a year where the guys can't hit. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I don't know what to tell you there. Um, I, you know, you, you, you've got to look at the track record, and I, I think you can throw out the odd year, and and certainly his his performance as a hitting coach. When you look, you know, the, the, the brass tacks for me, it, it's not necessarily batting average. It's not necessarily one particular stat uh, across a whole field of stats, but the bottom line one, the one that matters the most, and that's runs per game. If you're going to judge a team by what they do offensively I, I i think that's the big one and and certainly when you look at florida state's run production uh during his tenure as the hitting coach it, it's always been very good um so i i i just i i i don't think you can take one season's performance and and use that as the barometer and then throw the rest out and just say see, see what i See what I, this is what I thought all along about the guy. I think you're 100 percent right in that. I just uh, and hopefully those making the decisions subscribe to that theory as well. Because this is what you know. You certainly don't want to make a decision in light of a loss to Florida, uh, but you also want to give it some space, let it breathe, and then evaluate, evaluate the total body of work uh, sure. as compared to this past year. Keith, you wanted to jump in. I, I was I was going to echo that. I mean, and again, my comment wasn't going down the negative. Mine was the positive. In seventeen, you had some injuries, and, and kids got healthy, and that changed the lineup. If you get if you get one kid back, and you get a couple of three freshmen hitting over the next week or two, Lulu's point is exactly right. It can change that quickly. You're not that far behind. It's just well, crap. You know, yeah. of all the yeah. things for this to happen, now's the time for it not to happen. Yeah. Well, and one of the things going back to to your point about seventeen and injuries, I, I'm not sure those injuries played into twenty one and fifteen that much because uh, you know going back and thinking about that year, one of those injuries was Mendoza in the early going. He was back. I think he missed twenty five games. Um, so yeah, maybe that had a little bit of an impact in there. But but that was a you know that was kind of a, a middle of the season lull that Florida State hit. And Mendoza being available and playing uh, during a portion of that was that was reality. He was in there in the lineup. Uh, Jackson Luke was fairly early in the season when he missed. Uh, I think it was six or seven games. Uh, he had the, or actually now I guess it was more than that. It was probably about ten or twelve. Uh, he had the shin splints and then had shingles. Uh, but again, I, I think he was back in the lineup um, and was part of that twenty-one and fifteen. Red Applin was another injury that happened that season, but that was at the end of the year. So he was out. Um, he missed almost the entire tail end of the season and missed the postseason and just came back for one pinch hit appearance in the final game of the season. Um, you know, Busby missed a couple of games in there, but that was, you know, three or four or five games. So, I, you know, I'm not sure that you can point at injuries being the linchpin for 21 and 15. Uh, you had. Virginia Tech on the road, 10-4 lead on a Saturday after winning the game on Friday. Rain delay, blow a 10-4 lead, lose 13-12, and then come back and lose 17-0 the next day. Um, Then you had, uh, I think there was a a couple of losses to Florida in there, and and suddenly you're you're 21-15. And and, and at that point, it appeared as though the, the season was sort of sliding out of control. And then you even go later on in that season after things had kind of turned around a little bit. But even there was even a bad feeling in that season going into the final home weekend when we lost two out of three to Wake Forest. And the questions before we left town to go play Louisville in the final series of the regular season really were, you guys aren't going to host and you may not even be in the postseason. 
State then goes to Louisville, wins the first two games of the series against first place Louisville. Uh, third game gets rained out. We stay in Louisville. The ACC tournament was there. We win that. And next thing you know, we're hosting. Um, so even even that season, things really turned around quickly uh, in really just one week's time. So, You know from your time well, with we'll, Big Shooter. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and you know as, as we wrap up from your time with Big Shooter, he tells a story about how there used to be a light switch in J.D. Drew's locker, and he would just flip it on before every game. So go, go tell the colonel to put a light switch somewhere so we can turn that <laughs> thing on in time for Clemson this weekend, all right? I've got one that's stuck to the wall in my kid's room. I can unstick it, and, and you actually flip it on, and the light does come on. Put it maybe in. We'll, maybe put, we can use that one. Put it in the radio. Button. What are you, what are you <laughs> waiting for? What are you waiting for? <laughs> for? Hey, Lulu, appreciate the perspective. And, uh, you know, the track record says it will turn around. Let's hope it starts this weekend. There you go, guys. Thanks, Eric, Lulu. Eric Lou Allen, the voice of the Seminole baseball team. He's. Uh, you know, he's scratching his head as much as any of us. We can react to that. Uh, matter of fact, we'll do that. We'll bring Tim into the conversation and uh, continue to opine about baseball. I have to opine again? You do. Gosh, you do. I'm not in shape. Right. Look up what the word means, and we'll come back and continue Front Row Knowles after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. We are back on uh, Front Row Knowles. Keith, did you figure out what opine means? I have no opinion on that. Well stated. We're going to open up uh, somebody who always has uh, open up the phone lines for somebody who always has opinions. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Tim, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? Good. The uh, The great news for you is that we've already dissected FSU baseball with Lulu. So uh, you didn't hear that whole conversation. I'm just going to give you a completely open forum if there's anything you'd like to share in light of last night's game or the current state of affairs. And if you want to take a pass, we'll just move on. Uh, well, you know, obviously, yeah, I mean, what can you say about the outcome? Um, I, I, how about this? I'll give you, I'll give you a, a, a direct question because you were there. Uh, what I saw, and I, I was not at the game, but Mike Martin was as frustrated from what the media was reporting after the game as, uh, as you'll ever see Mike Martin. And I, I know you were tweeting about that a little bit. And uh, he's got a 40-year track record of finding the right buttons to push. But uh, just, just kind of take it from there based on what you saw post game. Yeah, I mean, those were his exact words. Uh, he said he's never been this frustrated in, in 40 years as a head coach. And, you know, that sort of sounds like hyperbole, but I'm inclined to believe him because I don't know that he's ever been through anything quite like this in, uh, in 40 years as a head coach. Even you know, two years ago, when they were struggling around this point, you know, there were some, some things that you could kind of point to that, you know, whether guys were banged up or whether guys were waiting to come around or whatever the case may be you can still sort of hold out hope. And look, you can still hold out hope with, with this group as well. I mean, I do think, uh, in my opinion, that this is a team that is capable of playing better than they are and of achieving better results than they are. Um, I mean, obviously the caveat with that is that you know, sooner or later you got to do it and you're going to run out of season You know, if you wait too much longer. Um, so, yeah, man, I, I get it. I mean, all you can, can say is you, know, you keep having opportunities to, to turn it around and you know, it's two sides of the coin, right? I mean, Clemson's coming to town this week, and that's a team that, uh, you know, might be, I mean, maybe outside of NC State, might be the best team that you played this season. And, and you know, so 
how do you look at that? I mean, is it a is it a big challenge? Absolutely. And given where things are, maybe it's uh, not the perfect time to play them. But at the same time, if uh, if you can get things together and and win a series, uh, maybe that can springboard you into uh, you know a good finish, and you can make something out of this. To paraphrase the great baseball historian Kendall Bryles, you could look at it and say we got to play Clemson, or you could jump in and intervene and say Clemson's got to play us. So maybe if we could find that attitude for this weekend, it would translate. And that was this week's uh, segue of the week as we move to football. Uh, Tim, thanks for the baseball insight. You need to sponsor that. Yeah, well, how about I, I, that's a good idea, and we could get those little people mover segues, and that could be the sponsor, <laughs> right? Um, exactly. So football. The general consensus from about everybody I've talked to, whether it's uh, friend, fan, foe, media, I think pleasantly surprised or better than expected, which is not to say it looked like a Super Bowl winning team. But uh, would you concur? Kind of what, what were your takeaways from last week? Yeah, well, most of my takeaways, I suspect, like most people's, were uh, were on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, a few things stood out to me. One, uh, James Blackman, of course, I thought after you know maybe a. a I wouldn't even call it a slow start, but I think he, he improved as the game went on and got better as the game went on through for more than 400 yards. I thought he looked really good. I thought Jordan Travis really surprised me uh, pleasantly with how sharp he looked uh, and how accurate he looked. And then, you know, those receivers, particularly Tamarian Terry and DJ Matthews, uh, man, I thought both those guys had really nice performances. And, uh, it, you know, it was cool to see both of them kind of do it um, in different ways. I mean, you know, Terry with, with James Blackman on the gold team and, and DJ with, Jordan Travis on the Garnet team, so you know you can't just chalk it up to you know one side having all the talented guys or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, that was pretty cool to see. Um, and and you know I think overall just kind of big picture, uh, and I know that people have made this point. You know beyond just the statistics, the production, or even the plays, just kind of the way it looked. Um, you know I think I saw somebody describe it as fluid, which I think was pretty fair. Um, you know guys kind of looked like they knew where to go. They looked like they knew the rhythm of the, the hurry-up offense and, and that sort of thing. Like, you, you know, it's sort of like a like an engine with, uh, you know, a new new quart, quart of oil or what have you, you know. I mean, everything just sort of, you know, seemed to, to flow uh, a lot better than what we saw, and, and you know, it's certainly something to build on. Well, I guess that's Coach Browse's new nickname then. What's o- that? Oil can. <laughs> hey, you know what? That works. 96 plays between the two groups. Garnet and Gold in the first half. Uh, you know what impressed me was that both units, even though they were you know, mixed and matched together, everybody on the offensive side seemed to be on quote unquote that same page. There was only one procedure penalty and ninety six stamps. No, I, exactly right, and that to me, I, I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Keith, because that was something that I really wanted to to see um, in in kind of you know gauge how things were going is the procedural penalty is line, you know, lining up and, and false starts and that sort of thing. And, you know, I do think that's been a, a huge emphasis for them um, over the, the past few weeks of spring. I know it drove Willie Taggart crazy. Um, and, and look, I mean, there's never a good time for a false start penalty or an illegal procedure or illegal substitution or whatever the case may be. Um, but when you run this type of offense, which is based on speed and rhythm and getting the defense off kilter, I mean, they just kill you, right? I mean, more more so than other offense. Just cannot have them all derail, derail the whole train. So, you know, I know you could see you could see them working on it in practice. I mean, they have officials out there on the practice fields, and you'd uh, you'd have the outside receiver kind of getting everybody, if if necessary, getting everybody in the right spot and in quick fashion. Then just flash a little thumbs up over at the uh, the official on the sideline. The official would let them know if they were fine or what they needed to do, and then uh, if you needed to make an adjustment, you did. And I tell you what, at least. Um, and the the practices I was watching, 
uh, toward the end of, of last week. I mean, they were they were doing it every play. They were they were checking every play to make sure the alignment was proper. But they were getting it. You know, I think it was very very infrequent that an official had to tell them to to adjust something. And I think that showed up uh, during the spring game as well. The one big negative that I've heard, I don't hold it uh, for reasons I'm fixing to explain, but. I've had folks come up to me and say, "Yeah, but we we didn't get a pass rush. You know, we don't we can't get to the quarterback. You know, well, I've basically told those people to shut up because <laughs> when when the quarterbacks are not live, you're not going to get a pass rush. Period. The end. I don't I don't care what the setting is. You know, you're you're, you're just not motivated to get there because you can't do anything when you do. And if you mess up, if you screw up and actually hit them, you're liable to find yourself being disciplined. So I, I, I've told the people that said we didn't have a pass rush, this was not the format for us to even figure out whether we did or did not. Yeah, I'm with you on that, particularly that last point, uh, Keith, about you know you you got to be really, really cautious, and I'm sure you know, everybody had it drilled into them from you know day one of spring until you know and then will until the end of time. Is, you know, do not hit the quarterback. Uh, you know, for Florida State fans wondering where the pass rush is going to come from this year and, and how that's going to going to happen is being particularly in the wake of losing Brian Burns. Uh, I mean, I get that. I understand the concerns. I think that's probably a question that the Florida State's going to have to answer. However, uh, I would say that, uh, you know, based on what we saw um, on Saturday, I wouldn't use that as an entire referendum. We're, we're going to get uh, our answer over in uh, Jacksonville. We will, but also, I mean, I can tell you, I mean, there were days uh, on the practice field where the, the pass rush was was more than, than capable and, and certainly was, you know, I would say disruptive. Uh, to practice, I mean, some guys were able to make some things happen, uh, and so you know, you start talking about splitting up the the first team defense or what have you, and and, and you know, not having your full front seven like you will in the fall, and then just maybe factor in uh, you know a, a, a day that maybe wasn't as productive as some other days. Uh, I wouldn't overreact to that too much. Besides, maybe it just means the offensive line's great and everybody's happy, right? I was uh, just not, not going to go down that road, but <laughs> but I hear you. I'm going to go here. Now, it's a one-game sample size, but to me, it was noticeable, and it was the blocking by the receivers on the bubble screens. So we have a history from last year with David Kelly one year, but we have a much longer history with Lawrence Dossie when Jimbo would run those, and it just felt like we can never get those things blocked right to do more than get a yard or two. There's always a guy. But Saturday, it felt like there was real progress there. Would you agree? I, I really would, actually, and I think that kind of goes back to the, the rhythm and the timing and the fluidity, right? I mean, that's kind of what those plays are based on. You have a, a short window, and everybody's got to be in sync, right, to make that, that play work. And you're right, for one reason or another, for we had you know, nine years or so uh, that told us that, that that Florida State offense wasn't very good at it. But, uh, you know, I also think that you know, Kendall Bryles and, and what he does, I mean, that's, that's kind of part of their bread and butter, and it's pretty obvious that, that he knows what he's doing and also knows seemingly to me just based on observations uh knows how to teach it because I mean, those guys haven't been in his system for all that long and they already look better i think at running those types of plays than we saw for for much of the and, well and speaking, we, 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 we got to give ron dugan some credit there too yeah. let's not give it all to ken for sure no you're right that's absolutely right that's a good that's and a, that's speaking a, of fitting in am i am i the only one because i had heard uh, all during camp the kids talking about travis and that you know he he was all that and then some he looked like an absolute solid number two backup with someone that if Blackman goes down, you don't have any any reservations about putting him in and starting him. I, I thought he looked great. I, I did too, and, and I'll say this. I, mean, I thought he looked better during the, the spring game than I've seen during any point over the last few surprises. Not to say that he looked bad, uh, but I thought he really took it to another level in the spring game to the point that I was surprised and uh, and pleasantly, pleasantly surprised and. 
you know, I think you got to ask the, the question. You hear coaches talk about it all the time of, of players who, you know, they, you know, when they move from the practice field to the game field or to the spotlight or, or what have you, uh, you know, some of them you know, shrink in that scenario and some of them really rise to the occasion. And, and so, you know, the idea that, that Jordan Travis could be a guy who, who rises to that occasion and, and takes things to another level once the lights come on, so to speak, and that's a pretty encouraging thing. I mean, obviously, you know, you're still crossing your fingers and, and holding out hope and, and hoping to hear some sort of clarity on his status for this year. But uh, based on just pure ability and what he's able to do and, and looking comfortable, one, in his system, the system, and two, with his new teammates, I don't know how he could be anything other than pleased with what you saw on Saturday. You know who's always comfortable and shines in the spotlight, KJ? Who's that? Or Tim. You. And you picked up right where you left off in rapid fire. I've not heard the official scoring from last week yet, but let's take a listen back. But I feel like you're in midseason form here. Number of touchdown passes thrown by James Blackman. The over-under is two and a half. Over. Number of touches by Kalen LeBorn, and the over-under is ten and a half. Over. Number of yards rushed for by Cam Akers. The over-under is 99 and a half. Under. All right, this one, uh, we're just testing your general knowledge. Uh, Florida State has this great tradition of the Sod Cemetery. So, against which opponent was that tradition born? Oh, I know that. It was uh, was Georgia. And finally, garnet or gold? Gold. There we have it. A perfect score. I I mean, is that retiring? That's it. That's it. That is it. And also, this wasn't even in there. In the not properly uh phrased uh as a fill-in-the-blank question and probably not appropriate for a rapid fire section i asked you that open-ended question about who might make some headlines and you threw out cameron mcdonald as one and lo and behold now he did have a fumble early on but uh, overall it looks like he's a guy that they they have high hopes for too based on what he was able to do last week no oh, i love that guy i really do um i, I like him as a guy i think he's, he's um, a cool personality and a fun guy to talk to uh, but also, I really like what he brings uh, to the football field. The fumble notwithstanding, I know that wasn't great. Um, but you also got to understand, you know, I mean, he was involved, right? He was making things happen, and the, and the, the fumble happened uh, at the end of a, a pretty positive play. So, uh, you know, so in, a new, in April, a new, you can live with that. A new nickname for Coach Bryles, oil can, and a new nickname for Mr. Linnefeld. What's that? Superstar. Superstar. <laughs> I like it. We, we might, we're going to have to come up with a new game to play during football season. I mean, the questions have just gotten too easy. Five, five and oh, that's good. Hey, unfortunately, um, just because this has been one of these weeks, I guess, where, uh, you know, the softball team lost its ACC series win streak. We talked about the Florida baseball game. Uh, there's the loss, uh, you know, obviously, and that's all three of the season series. But then the news comes out about Fee Cabin Gailey. And we were all hoping against hope that he would come back for one more year and uh, I can't second guess his decision it's 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 his uh, his choice and probably not a bad one quite frankly but it does leave us a little curious about what next year is going to look like now yeah it's uh I mean it'll be interesting I mean I think if anything it means uh, uh well I think there's Raekwon Gray was going to get an expanded role anyway I think that's definitely happened happening now uh for sure uh, you'll see what you can uh, can see out of uh, Malik Osborne, the transfer who sat out this year. Uh, it's going to be a new look post uh, for Florida State because obviously uh, uh, you know, Chris Kamaji's gone as well. Nafiandu Cavangeli's gone. Uh, I think you know you wonder. I mean, I think you were already planning on this sort of being Trent Forrest's team anyway, uh, particularly and also with Fiondu Cavangeli. Uh, now I think that's even more so. I mean, you're talking about what's going to be a, a pretty young 
group of guys uh, outside of Trent, you know, with Raekwon and, and Devin Vassell and, you know, newcomer in Osborne or newcomer to the, the active lineup in Osborne. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be a pretty big, uh, I think, opportunity for Trent to show uh, his leadership skills and then opportunity for some young post players uh, to have an impact. I mean, you know, it's, it is what it is. Uh, you know, I was surprised by these decisions, but then, you know, once you see it and then you you kind of think on it for a minute or two, you sort of wonder, like, ah, maybe I shouldn't have been surprised uh, because, I mean... Well, we're, sure not, we're not hopeless. I mean, he, there's still no, an, an no, avenue for him to come back. Right. And, I, and I will tell right. you, uh, based on what has been explained to me, if you're not basically a first-round pick or even the top 20 pick, you know, it's not necessarily an easy road to hoe. You've got to get past that, that first two or three years before there's any... Uh, what I would call significant money. But if you're one of those top 20 and certain if you're a lottery pick, there is no questioning that decision. Sure. No, absolutely. But, you know, you can look at even in recent history, though, both, uh, both Malik Beasley and Dwayne Bacon uh, kind of had to you know, find their way in the NBA a little bit, and both of those guys, and Jim Job and I, too. I mean, they're all, they're all having success now. Uh, but it, I think it took all all three of those guys a little while to kind of adjust their games and, and be able to be productive. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he went through something like that as well, uh, you know, I'll say this though, and I agree with you, Keith. Uh, you know, as, as far as you know, your projections and what you should and shouldn't do, but I got a feeling that that Deandre's got some pretty good connections uh, to some NBA circles, and, and probably feels pretty good uh, and pretty solid about whatever feedback he's gotten to this point. And, and and I would think that's true as well. I mean, Leonard and his staff have always been very, very uh, forthright with a what they see and believe, and b what they're being told. Uh, relative right. to the folks that they talk to so it does beg the question what's the talking point going to be next year during broadcast if we can't go to the old standby of you know his uncle is Dikembe Mutombo so I mean we're gonna have to find <laughs> something on the team Chuck Walsh will dig something up hey I'll t- bet we'll have something. he will uh Tim appreciate it as always sir you gotta guess great job our Seminoles.com insider five and oh yeah we gotta we gotta actually when the, when the season comes we gotta ask real questions because apparently we're making this too easy for him we will continue with Front Row Knowles momentarily. It was a beautiful day, sun beat down, I had the radio on, I was driving. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Just a few minutes to go as we wrap up Front Row Knowles, and let's wrap up the discussion. Go ahead, Keith. I have two observations and one reiteration. Which one would you like first? Let's start with the two observations. Uh, Number one, I did not remember that in 2017, Florida State was 21-15 and 15 at one point during the baseball season. That's why we like Lulu. Number two, I caught holy heck, at, at basically at church, if that's the way, right place to say it, when Martin walked the player to load the bases and then the leading hitter in the ACC with home runs sent one over the field. I didn't know he was in the middle of a 12 or 13 game slump and was hitting 180. Dang, Martin doesn't have any luck. 11 just has no luck. Well, that's the kind of detail that gets overlooked in our social media era where everybody's, what in the world are you doing? 
well, the numbers say that's what yeah. you should do, and bango. That's, and, that's the nuance that yep. is, has been removed from pretty much from society at this point. And again, reiterating. What was the fee, other – fee, Fee's not necessarily gone. Okay. It was a reiteration. Reiteration. We, I thought we you said one. a regurgitation. It was a reiteration. Okay. Fee could come back. I was thinking about this, though, related to, related to fee. So the argument – the selfish argument is the one fans always make. He needs to come back. He could develop, get guaranteed money as a first-round pick. Okay, his his uncle made $100 million in the NBA, whatever Dikembe made. Enough to build a hospital. So, But even if he didn't, maybe money's not a consideration. But we talk about going to Dikembe. So Dikembe could say, well, you know, you're not going to get much the first time around because you might be a second-round pick, not guaranteed. But let's look at it the other way. You've already grown leaps and bounds in the constrained environment that is college basketball, meaning you can only work 20 hours a week in a team structure, whatever else you do on your own. You turn pro, whether you're playing in the, in the lower leagues, whether you go to Europe, you can be 24-7 basketball, and you can accelerate that curve. And so you're making, and it's not minimum wage, but quote-unquote, you're not on a guaranteed deal. You're getting low pay as an NBA guy or a pro guy. And two years from now, maybe you're not. So, I mean, there's other avenues to get there. There's no question. And uh, and by all accounts, Fee is a good student. Uh, I've never heard anything otherwise. I'm not thinking you know, he'll, he'll have three complete completed three years at Florida State uh, come next month. I don't think he's ready to graduate, but he's certainly on track. And uh, by all accounts, it's not because he can't do the classwork that he has to leave. It is purely a business decision. Yeah, we just always look at it selfishly, and there's always the other side. So go get paid, and and good luck to Fee. And if it doesn't work out in the short term, come on back because we'll take you for next year. Um, If something doesn't work out uh, on the home front uh, related to construction, building, do-it-yourself projects, you need to go see Ron and uh, the folks at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener because they'll fix that in a hurry. Uh, we appreciate their longtime support of this program. We appreciate you listening, and uh, hopefully you'll do so again next week when we gather once more. Ron's favorite and wisest words, Ron Foltz, Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Measure twice, cut once. Good advice. Well, after you've cut once, it's pretty much downhill if you misfire. That's why you measure twice. Yeah, I was going to say, at that point, you're pretty much out of luck. Why am I telling you this? You don't even know what I'm talking about. We'll talk to you next week, folks. Have a great week. I'll work for